Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast, core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. This week on the podcast, we're going to review some pearls on blood transfusions that we got from our blood bank group, as well as going into our anatomy workshops where we did a couple of procedures, including crikes, chest tubes, and lateral canthotomies. One of our third-year residents, Jenny Beck-Esme, is with me again to review this week's conference. Jenny, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about blood transfusions? Thanks, Swami. So this was a short presentation given by some folks in our blood bank, and they highlighted a number of critical issues. The first is that transfusions aren't benign. There are a ton of complications we can see, from infections, things like HIV, hepatitis C, and hepatitis B, to fatal hemolysis, trolley, and TACO, which is transfusion-associated circulatory overload. We think that these things are rare, which some of them are, but just to put it in context, the rate of fatal hemolysis is about one in a million, trolley is one in 10,000, and TACO is actually one in 100. Yeah, in recent years, a number of articles have come out showing us the ugly side of transfusions. A meta-analysis in JAMA Internal Medicine back in 2013 demonstrated increased mortality in myocardial infarction patients who received transfusions. The majority of the included studies were observational, though, so they can't prove causality. A New England Journal of Medicine study in 2013 looked at transfusion and upper GI bleed and again found that patients who had liberal transfusions, i.e. they were transfusing them with higher hematocrits, did worse. Even more recently, the TRIS trial, looking at transfusion in sepsis, again found that liberal transfusion strategies were worse than a conservative approach. The take-home message here was to think critically about transfusions and use evidence-based guidelines to guide your practice. Now, the rest of our conference was devoted to our procedure labs. Let's touch on some of the finer points from there. We tackled three procedures, crikes, chest tubes, and lateral canthotomies. Now, Jenny and I talked a bit about crikes back on podcast six, but I think we should still revisit it here. Right. So first off, we discussed using the laryngeal handshake to identify the cricothyroid membrane. This is a technique taught by Rich Levitan and improves your ability to find the correct space. There'll be a link in the show notes to how to do this. There are a lot of techniques to doing a crike, but the main thing we talked about is to get good at a single technique. So when those one to two situations arise in your career, you are ready to go. We spent the majority of our time discussing and practicing the scalpel finger bougie technique that was featured on the MCRIT website. The idea here is to make a large vertical incision in the midline of the neck, identify the cricothyroid membrane by palpation with your fingers, and then place your scalpel through it. Without taking that scalpel out, you can run your bougie into the airway and then railroad a tube over it. Now, this description isn't enough, so we'll link to Ruben Strayer's amazing crike video in the show notes. Yeah, those are great tips on doing a crike. It actually turns out that Ruben and I were involved in a near crike over the weekend, and Ruben was sort of my backup as I was managing the airway from the top, and we couldn't find the Melker kit, didn't really need it anyway. Ruben just grabbed a bougie, grabbed a scalpel, and he was ready to go. The second procedure we tackled was a tube thoracostomy, or chest tubes. I think this procedure can be intimidating, but it's really not that difficult. I think the great John Hines said it best. Putting a chest tube in is slightly less complicated than stuffing a turkey. The key is proper preparation and setup and making a good, healthy incision through which to place the tube. The most common mistake that I've seen is making that incision too small. So make the cut, pop through with a clamp, and then spread so you can get your finger in the hole. 
That finger is used to confirm placement and to guide the tube into place. If the first incision or that first cut that you make is too small, you're not gonna be able to fit both your finger and the tube in at the same time. So you're gonna pull your finger out and even if it's just for a second, you can lose that track. The next thing that happens is you place that tube into a false track and now the patient didn't get their pneumothorax addressed. If you make a big enough cut, this never happens. The University of Maryland Emergency Medicine Department has a nice video on how to do that, and we're going to drop that in the show notes as well. Finally, we went through the steps of doing lateral canthotomies. Now, this is a relatively rare procedure, although I'll tell you, we seem to do a lot of these in RED. A lateral canthotomy is indicated in patients who have retrobulbar hematoma or ocular compartment syndrome. Typically, these patients will present with facial trauma, proptosis of the eye, and decreased vision. This is a vision-threatening injury, and so the sooner the pressure is relieved, the more likely the patient recovers their vision. We should consider performing a lateral canthotomy when there is evidence or confirmed presence of a retrobulbar hematoma, decreased visual acuity, restricted extraocular movement, afferent pupillary defect, and an intraocular pressure greater than 40 millimeters of mercury. Larry Mellick has a great video on how to perform this procedure, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, I think we're going to put a link also to an article discussing the procedure as well. Now, I know lateral canthotomies are supposed to be pretty rare, but a couple of years back, we did four of these on New Year's Eve alone. You can't wait for the ophthalmologist on this one. So we need to know how to do the procedure, when it's indicated, and then be ready to perform it as quickly as possible. Jenny, thanks again for joining us this week. Can you close out the cast for us? That's all for the Coriam podcast this week. Come on over to the site and see what we've got working. Wednesday, we'll have another core content post on HIET therapy in calcium channel blocker and beta blocker overdose. Coming out on Thursday, we'll have a journal update as well. Come on over and check out the site. Visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at core underscore EM. 